myself, my buddies, uh, and welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-hosts, Ben Bateman, Michael Grothy, uh, and- Where's your floor bunny? Oh, oh, it's over here. You gotta complete the trifecta. I got, I got, I got all three starters, don't you worry. <sighs> Alex doesn't get lonely in quarantine because his company owns an industrial sized printer. Yeah. So he just he just he prints out, out life size cutouts of his friends. <laughs> hang out together every day, play some games. Uh, you'd be very surprised about the terrible plays you've been making in Magic then. I mean, oh, like you tapped out as a blue player against someone playing a combo deck. I won. It was really sad for you. I played lots of things. I'm playing lots of things that cost five or more in my deck. Yeah, your deck doing? was all five drops. It was really <laughs> weird. <laughs> How do you win doing that? I don't know. Um, so yeah, so uh, welcome to Masters of Modern. Uh, we are a podcast that talks about modern and magic and all things magic related. Um, today we are talking about companions. Uh, the recent uh, ban and restriction announcement uh, made this last Monday. Change the way they work, uh, change the rule on how they function, and then also is doing a kind of ban a bunch of cards standard and uh, historic, right? Were they banned or were they restricted? I know that that's different. Uh, there was there was two cards. Suspended. There was two cards banned in standard, and then those same two cards were suspended in historic. Got it. All right. And then there's some controversy about what choices they made there. So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, but uh, you know, mostly it's about companion. I mean, companions have done a lot. We've done. Multiple episodes there. If you go to the, it's like the fourth episode in a row now, I think of us talking about companions. Uh, it's been all the rage to have those conversations the last month or so. Absolutely. Well, it's been all the rage to play them as well. So, you know, what are you that's people are, as they, it's like, they I mean, as they were previously templated, they were, they were very, very good. Are they still, I don't know. You guys will have to stay tuned in the episode to find out. And before you do that, make sure to follow and subscribe. Uh, Twitter and stuff is all around us, um, and you can see the follow subscribe button down there. Press it. Uh, also, big thank you to our Patreon, especially the nobles of House Modern. Pinky's up to you. <laughs> yeah, we've been having actually the best time doing those those hangouts. You guys hear about them every week, but um, Cal- Cam Albergini, Brandon S. Russell, and uh, Andrew Kelso, uh, every week we get to hang out with those guys and kind of chat about uh, what's going on in their lives, obviously, but then also just their thoughts on the bannings, what we're going to talk about in the episode, um, which is always fun to get the outside perspective. So thank you to all you guys for making that happen. And if you guys are interested, check out our Patreon. Yep. Um, and so getting kind of into the main conversation of... Like, and really the question everyone has on their mind about this is now that the rules have changed, uh, will they see play? And and the way the rules change now is basically uh, if you have a companion sideboard and your deck meets all the restrictions of a companion, it, you can spend three mana at sorcery speed um, to take a companion from the sideboard and put it into your hand. This happens not on the stack, so it's faster than the stack would normally be. Uh, and yeah. But it's the same kind of thing, right, where you it's a sorcery speed thing that if you have priority, you can do so like it's the same. It's effectively the same thing as like playing a land like you can do it at that point, but you can't you you're not able to respond to anything with it and like, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Special action like flipping a morph. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's faster than mana is right. It's faster than tapping a land kind Ah. of. You can do it at sorcery speed, right? So it's not like fast per se, but oh, right. your opponent okay. cannot respond to it. Yeah. So over the course of the last little while, um, you know, in in eternal formats, I mean, all the way 
to the most powerful formats, companions have become somewhat ubiquitous. Obviously, the ability to play one is the 15th card in your sideboard, build your deck restrictions around it, and then take advantage of it to kind of start with eight cards has been something that I think we all knew would be very good. But it's funny, it's like, sometimes sometimes in Magic, when they come up with a new thing, we all scratch our heads and we go like, I wonder how good that's really going to be. And then, you know, in some cases it's interesting, in some cases it's not particularly good. And in some cases, like this one, where you say you start with an eighth card, <laughs> it turned out to be 100% as good as everybody thought it was going to be, and there was basically zero hesitation in making it that good. So I guess they just had to change the rules. Right, and it's interesting, right? Basically, every deck now that plays with a companion gets a three-mana card automatically that reads tutor for companion and, and puts it into your hand. And um, is that going to be... You know, is that is that going to be a detriment? Is it going to be good enough for a lot of the companions to see play? I, I personally think that, uh, and we'll see exactly where the power level is, but I think they got pretty close to what they wanted, which I believe was they didn't want to kill these cards. They wanted the companion mechanic to still work, but they wanted the questions that they were hoping you would ask. Is this deck building restriction worth it? Is it worth it to, excuse me, uh, to not have an extra sideboard card? Is this going to actually be as powerful in my deck as it would be than just playing better cards worth it? And, and to some extent, for some of the cards I think we're going to talk about, is it worth it just playing them in the main deck? Uh, you know, Luros especially to me is a card that I think there's a lot of decks that might just main deck him uh, and then um, eskew the whole sideboard companion option. It's an interesting question you pose, right? Like, I mean, so so I, I think we all can agree... Wizards looked at this and, and they don't think they wanted companions to suck. I don't think they wanted to look at them and destroy them forever for everyone. So they wanted to do that. They would have just banned them, I think. Or they would have made them really, really, really bad. But I think they're still trying to toe the line and find a way for these cards to be relevant because they're brand new. People are opening them in packs. I mean, that's like something they want. They want people to get excited when they see these cards. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's a couple perspectives to look at. If you start from the one you just mentioned a second ago, Alex, which is the main deck inclusion of these cards. I mean, look, Mishra's Bobble is a card that is seen play in tons and tons and tons of decks in Modern. If you have Luris in your deck and you cast Luris at any point in the game, it's no different than casting Luris on turn three out of your sideboard. It's just a little bit less efficient. It's well, a little bit less on curve. You draw one less card, right? Like if you cast Luris from your sideboard, you drew a card and you have Luris. Yeah. Now, if you cast Luris from your hand, you don't draw that card but you still can draw a card off of Bobble. You can still get the value from having Luros in play. And, and you have the option, if he dies, to draw additional ones. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. one thing that Wizards cited in the ban announcement was that they felt companions provided repetitive gameplay because you could put it in your hand every time. So the question of, like, you know, a lot of solutions that were proposed to the companion mechanic when we knew that just changing the mechanic was on the table was like, well, what if you have to mulligan to six and then you get to put a companion in your hand or like you take a forced mulligan to put in your hand or like when you put in your hand you put a card on the bottom or you can you know put two cards on the bottom to put it in your hand at any time or like stuff like that but that still has the same um repetitiveness problem which is like every turn three your opponent has access to Luris, or every turn five they have access to obosh or every turn not really six but Every time they have six mana, they can immediately put a Juruta into play or whatever. It, it still had that problem. Um, so this, you'll still always have access to your companion if you're using it as your companion. The difference is that because you have to pay the three mana, you're playing it off curve. So it makes games less repetitive because you're not just jamming Luris on turn three. You're waiting until you have time to spend three mana. Maybe it's turn four with the Fatal Push-Up or something. Or maybe it's turn five when you play a two drop since you obviously have a bunch in your deck. And then you put it in your hand. And then you play it the next turn. Um, and so it's like 
you have to kind of react to the game state more to know when you can safely pay three mana. So it makes them less repetitive, even though you're still potentially going to see them every game. Um, yeah. Well, so I think I think on that note, Michael, like when when we talk about the difference between you know losing a card versus not losing a card, it's very significant, right? Because if you're just comparing the mana cost. Three mana tutors in modern historically are not good. People don't really play idyllic tutor. Fabricate's not really a card that comes up. You know, whatever the call the planeswalker three drop white one that you can get is that gets you a planeswalker. Those are, those cards don't really see play historically. And even some of the clunkier two mana tutors that are a little more specific, like time of need, you know, those don't really get played. To be effective in modern, you need to see you need to be war of invention, or you need to be you know a call the uh, a traverse the Ulvenwald. wall. You know, you'd be very very efficient. So. What it comes down to is the fact that you're getting the extra card is why that three mana becomes worthwhile to pay. And I think there are modern is littered with examples of cards that are pretty good early, but if they have that late game function, they become insane. So the fact that you don't have to worry about these being early, you just get the late game function is what makes them, I think, so appealing still. Yeah, they're 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 it's a it's a it's a hedge against mana flooding, right? Like I think I think the the there are three types of decks I think playing uh companions before. There were the ones built around the companion as its like main engine. Uh there were ones that were um using companions as an additional piece of their strategy. Uh and then that were built around those companions. And then the third one would be decks that just get the freebie, right? Like Burn was playing uh, Obosh partly because it just didn't cost them anything. They weren't playing too many standard cards. Burn. What? Right. You're, you're, are you talking about standard Burn playing Obosh? Or oh, sorry. I meant, I meant Sanders playing Luros. Sorry. Sanders playing Luros because it didn't cost them anything. Uh, you know, they had mono cards under two mana. They didn't have anything above that anyway. So it didn't cost them anything. And it was good in their deck. So they just were able to get to it. And I think... The decks that get the free roll these cards still do it because a lot of the times it's just a great mana flood contingency plan. I play Luros and Burn because accidentally I drew the land half of my deck uh, and now I get to play Luros and uh, rebuy my Goblin Guides. So, and and uh, decks like Blue White Control that can just play Yorion in the sideboard and not really work too hard to accomplish that. And a Yorion's good in that deck anyways because it's very easy for them to find a moment where they have three extra mana open. Um... And yeah, I think Yorion is one of the big winners here because its deck building restriction is so minimal for the decks that want to play it. And those decks are looking to play a long game where they don't necessarily mind like spending three mana to draw a ton of cards later. Like the fact that you like on turn five can just like hold up remand and then find a Yurion, right? Like that's just an option yeah. I have. Or I like, think I think so I think Yurion to me is the clearest example of where this card is almost unchanged. It's it's less efficient. It feels more like you're playing a fair control game. So it probably feels like you're having to work a little harder. But the difference of spending that three mana to draw an extra card and control, they don't care. You're t- if control was to be like, yeah, you get to start with a clue and play every game and it draws you Yuri on control. Be like, awesome. That's a great <laughs> deal for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So like that's definitely one that I think is just like a slam dunk going to continue to be powerful. I think Luros being as powerful as it does, I think there's more of an interesting conversation about is it main deckable versus playing in the sideboard. And then and then the deck that I'm actually most the, – the two decks I have a big question on, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on. The first one is um, – Decks that have to modify their mana to be able to play Luros, but he's a free bill, uh, uh, like kind of a free choice where best examples are like Merfolk having to now play a lot of white or in fact having to play uh, black instead of just being a straight blue green deck, really kind of making their mana base a lot more painful. Is a card like Luros more worth it now for them? Is it worth kind of that payment? Because that's that's a cost. Like if Luros is saying you have to have cards under this mana cost plus your mana base, your your life total now starts at 16 to be able to function. That's 
you know, more and more costs added to him and him costing six mana to get into play maybe is not worth it. Yeah, you're so, so you're saying basically decks that would have to spend a lot of resources to get Luris in their hand. Um, just, so just like it like becomes... add a color, right? It's 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 now there's not only the choice of restricting my deck, not getting mirror regery, but I also have to add a third color or a second color into my deck. That means my mana base is going to do damage to me throughout the game versus before when I was kind of health positive. Well, here's the thing. If you were to t- look at me right now and say, hey, so every deck you've ever played in modern, right? If you could somehow see a statistic of every single game I've ever played in modern. And if I had played those games with 14 cards in my sideboard instead of 15 cards, what percentage of games would I have lost? You know, more, you, you, you see what I'm saying? How, how much worse would my win percentage how have been? The I think the answer to the question is, <laughs> I don't know, like less than 1%. It probably makes very, 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 very little difference. Maybe, maybe it's higher than I think. But I think those decks don't care. Like they will, they don't have to work that hard because it's one sideboard slot. It's well, still an extra card. I'm not really talking about side. Well, I mean, sideboard is a whole conversation, right? Because that was one of the things Wizards was considering, um, and I have a thoughts on that. But more, more like modifying the main deck, right? Like your land, your mana base is now worse than it would normally be because you're three colors versus two colors, but you get Luros. Is that worth it now that Luros costs six versus before? Absolutely worth it. Worth making your mana base worse to get Luros. Because you could into it. But if you now have to try getting two white into play in a deck that previously was mono blue on turn three, or if you're trying to get two black into play on a deck that was blue green before on turn three, especially that deck is playing like Ink Moth Nexuses and Pendle Havens, which make that even harder. Uh, Let me see if I understand your question. So, so just because I'm, and then Michael, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm a little confused. So you're, you're asking, you're saying that those decks, when they could curve out into something that was maybe the wrong colors for them, but because they could curve out into it, it was 100% worth it. But the idea that those decks now have to pay three and then also pay the life, it maybe is not worth it. Right. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm saying that those decks were on the edge on Wizzleros worth it, theoretically, because of it. this life payment. And now have they been pushed over it to make it no longer worth it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was like being able to play Luris on curve necessarily for those decks. It was more like it gave you a lot of late game resilience because, you know, if you're in fact against a deck that's just killing all your creatures or whatever, uh, you then have this late game option of Luris. Being a very efficient three mana card is much better than being a less efficient six mana card. Still does the same thing, but is it worth like the mana base issues that you would be running yourself into? Um, I just don't think you're going to play the card. I just don't think you're going to play the card with the same intention, right? So, like, I, I think about, I start thinking about Luris now, and I go, okay, like, let's just pretend that I was looking at a, a concept deck that I wanted to build, right? Let's just even take, for, for example, like, pretend it was Hunted Hanson, that old deck that I used to play. So, Love Hunted Horror, great card, really, really unique card, you know, very, 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 uh, very unique printing, but there's only four. I can't play eight of those cards. So maybe I look at that card and I go, okay, this is this would be an interesting thing to tune around where I play Luris as my 15th card in my sideboard so that late game I can start to recur my best threat over and over again because now I have a really, really consistent way to know that when I hit a level, you know, I'll always be able to. I don't know. Like, I, I just mean, like, I think, I think the usefulness of the cards changes. I don't think you're going to play them just like this. The card is three mana slower, but I'll play it the same way. I don't think that's going to happen in well, most cases. But, like, Luros is interesting, right? Because Luros... And Urion is another example, right? Both of them were decks that grind. Urion in a control, more of a control finisher fashion, and, and Loros in much more of a like classic grindy giant mid range deck fashion. But like that, they haven't 
adding three mana to that type of strategy doesn't affect them as much as some other strategies, right? Like Obosh is a lot worse because it was played in red green decks that wanted to like be aggressive and then cast it and win. Uh, and yeah, the companions that you need to play on curve or at least like as quickly as possible, like Obosh and Juryuda, um, and even like kind of Kahira. In the tribal a lot decks. of those yeah. are just like nearly unplayable now because having to pay eight mana for Obosh is just nothing that a deck that would be interested in playing Obosh would ever be interested in. But one of the strengths of Luros in Merfolk was I'm going against an opponent one to one, right? I'm playing cards, they're playing cards. They are killing every one of my threats. But in the late game on turn six, once they've done that a few times, I can now play Luros or rebuy uh, another threat and then just keep casting threats Atlantis. every turn. Lord of Atlantis... And then from that point on, just keep buying threats where my opponent has now run out of removal spells. And but bef- before you you took that pain, the life loss. Now you're taking that life loss in games. You don't need Loros as much because um, because the problem is that Loros mitigated the non grindy matchups by also being good against aggro by being a three two lifelink. That is now bad. And so your mana base hurting you is a worse negative, I think, is my point. <laughs> And Merfolk is like has two layers because you are giving up some cards that you would play if you didn't like if you decided not to play Luris, you would get back Mirror Regery. Maybe you play Master of Waves or something like that. Kira, like you have some more Banner. options. Yeah, Kira. Like you lose a lot of your kind of disruptive protective. Well, I guess that's not true because your whole deck is disruptive protective guys. But you lose Kira. You lose uh, the Merfolk version of Kira, whose name I'm blanking on. Kahi, yeah, no, I, I know, I know. It's called Kopala. <laughs> yes, Kopala. Kopala. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you do lose. You do actually give up cards in your deck. It's not just a mana base concern because we've seen Merfolk splash, bolt, push, path, plus sideboard cards before, mm-hmm. yeah. like depending on the meta. So it's not like outrageous to be just splashing white, but I, but you know, you give up those cards. I think it's like also interesting for Infect, where you're not giving up any cards. There's nothing you want to play in your main deck that excludes you from playing Luris. The question is, like, is it worth it to play black in this deck? Like, how many matches are you going to lose to an aggro deck because you, like, had to fetch shock one too many times, you know? And I think I think they're they're a little bit better off, too. Like, in fact, because they have... They play Noble Hierarch, right? And Noble Hierarch can cast the white half of, of Luris. Yep. Um, and, and classically, Bug, in fact, is a deck, right? Like, and black-based, in fact. You also get other cool sideboard options. You get the black, black, the black, in fact, Knight with First Strike that is pro-white, pro-red. Right, if you board that in, no Luris. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, you would be, but I would be boarding that in against, like, Burn, where Luris is maybe not the best, uh, especially now. Um, and you maybe bring in both, right? Like, that's what's cool. Something that is cool now um, is Luris's ability to be a, like, like companions don't have to stay in your sideboard. Before it was objectively wrong to leave the, to take them out of there, but now because there's a real cost, like is this three mana tutor worth it? I can bring Luros into my main deck, and there is even a cool. I think Michael, you you mentioned this. People playing Death Shadow decks where Luros starts in their sideboard. They have one Luros in their sideboard with Street Wraith still being played, but then in games where they realize they need to be grindier as a guarantee, they can bring Luros and side out the Street Wraiths, which are normally better in aggro decks anyways, aggro matchups or fast matchups, and then now have access to Luros from the sideboard. Um, so they can kind of move yeah, it the into example, the companion the slot. The example was when, when Luris first got spoiled and somebody was saying like in Traverse Shadow in particular, you could play the Luris main and Traverse for it. And then game two, you board Luris and Street Wraiths out, and now yeah. you have Luris 
companion. And I thought that was like a clever use of companion that we haven't really seen a lot of. But now that there is a real cost to companions, people are like not going to be as a, like sideboard cards are maybe worth more than a companion now. Right. Like maybe you ha as Merfolk, you have Kira's in your sideboard for, you know, matchups with a ton of removal. I guess that's also the matchups where Luris is good in. But I don't know. As an example, assuming right. that's good. Right. Um you board in the Kiras and then you maybe want to board in Luris or maybe you leave them in the sideboard or whatever. But like boarding out of your companion is probably going to be more common. What are some examples of cards that exist where you basically are never using them from your hand, but they cost you mana or a resource to come from somewhere else? Like I would think that Dredge probably has some cards like this that we're used to that actually cost you something to well, get Dredge, out of the graveyard. Dredge itself is that, right? Like just Dredge six. Control is I don't spend mana and because i have this thing in another zone i draw six cards um, serum serum powder is kind of like that where like yeah yep where like they're before game yeah. effect the but i'm trying to think any of the ley lines yeah but so okay all, the ley lines are free serum powder is like a free you know replacement effect i'm trying to think of like okay you know all those creatures they print where it's like if this is in your graveyard you can pay three mana and x and it goes to the end of play, it comes to play tap like skeletons and, and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's an genre. example of one of those that costs you mana specifically and is good and has been playable. Cause that's like, uh, that's the, uh, that's like sort of what I'm equating these two now, right? If they cost you mana, they're always going to well, be available based on your game plan. Except you have to get into that zone, right? Like you have to then what? work and, and some of those cards are good, right? Like um, the, the, what's the four mana, uh, discard two cards and you can put in the play makes a one one if it's in your graveyard haunted dead haunted dead like that card's yeah, a ton of that's play like, that's like the card that i'm thinking of right and i guess haunted i guess to some degree like conflagrate you just say conflagrate yeah like yeah, yeah all, souls, lingering souls in general yeah anytime you have okay, okay. in the play lingering souls though i guess is tough because if you draw lingering souls it's it's still good but yeah lingering souls is a great example of like a card that you you specifically want to use it as a card you can discard for a better effect or like you mill it, you're like totally happy with it. Like that's, and that's always been great. I mean, even though two one ones is not that good, it's still great. Like still just great to be able to get well, it. And like, and like, I think actually a good example is Genesis, just the card. Right. And like, this is never seen play in modern, even though I think it was added in modern horizons. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but that was a card that saw play in standard and has seen play in constructed play when it was, you know, in other formats, um when it was legal and that card's similar to that right like for three mana you get a creature from your graveyard into your hand you have to take that turn off and it's like at a it's like upkeep right so it's at the worst possible yeah, moment but like in grindier matchups that was really good so that that's that's actually a good example of like finding a situation where you know in in the right decks do want a grindy threat sometimes um, now you you brought up sideboard cards. And I do want to kind of touch upon that because I, I do think your point, your question of uh, like how many times if you had one less sideboard card, how many tournaments do you win or lose compared to what you lost? And I think that's a scale towards the like if someone is regularly day twoing GPs and playing through the second day of a GP, that's going to be more likely because the more games you play, the more likely you'll need every sideboard card. And if you're just, I, mean, I guess, play... I guess on the flip side of it, if you were to tell me like these people that consistently date, you know, day two GPs have been playing with 16 card sideboards this whole time, I would be like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. If you're, if you're a player that is that skilled, who is grinding out the numbers that consistently that your access to like a third copy 
is is significant like and you you know you play a lot you construct even like you know decks that can like tutor out of the sideboard like your glittering wish type of effects i mean you get really clever with that stuff well and paulo uh vito dama de rosa wrote a really good article almost three four years ago now which is insane but uh for channel fireball uh kind of going over things he would change in modern and one of his big points is he'd make it like a 20 card sideboard 20 card sideboard i remember that article yeah he felt he felt that one of the issues with the format is it's so many different strategies and it's so wide of a field and you have no idea what you're going to be coming into every turn that your sideboard is much more stretched in what it can do uh, and having the right answers you'll need for different matchups and having more sideboard slots would maybe mitigate that problem a little bit or make the format a little bit easier to kind of be prepared for. Um, so so it's interesting with that concept and the competing come in and are like, no, you don't need 15 cards. You just need 14 cards. This card's that good. Um, and, and now that cards cost three mana, do you want that extra card? I still think you don't. I, like, y- yes, it, it's such a hard... It's kind of like... It's it's what's a like a, almost like looking at the top card of your library after you lose a game uh, and seeing what your next card was like. It's such a hard data point to keep track of um, where over there is probably a correct answer, right? You probably do want all 15 cards, but you won't notice it. Very so often, I guess. It's a question of like, do you think your total win percentage is going to increase if you're deck gets 5% better in every matchup because sometimes you draw an extra card or is it do you get more percentage points by having a your 15th sideboard card your least important sideboard card that you added at the last minute in the couple of matchups where you want to board it in right it's it's almost a mitigation between like, like mana flood is way less bad for you than other people or you'll be able to hedge your bets against affinity and dredge at the same time a little bit better I mean, that yeah, 15th I mean, like, card, uh, I, like, that's the funny part is I'm arguing against the 15th card in the sense that I think having a guaranteed power card you can know you're getting means you'll, you'll still be able to construct your deck around it a little bit. But I also know that when yeah. I'm building a sideboard for a tournament, I always am, like, scratching my head for that 15th card. Like, you know, like, I'm always, I always want, have 22 cards I want to play on my sideboard. So it's definitely valuable. It's not, like, something I ignore. I just think that in reality how it actually affects the game is less significant than it seems. And I think I think that's one of the goals of having a good sideboard guide, right? But going into a tournament and knowing, at least for the major top 10 decks in a format, what your sideboard plan is ahead of time uh, is valuable. Because on the, on the other side of that, I've definitely gone to a tournament being like, oh, I don't know what cards I'm going to have in my sideboard. Okay, I'm going to play these ones. And then I get into matchups where like, oh, right, Graveyard Hit, I have that. And then I realize I don't have enough cards to take out of my deck for the amount of cards I brought in yeah. for the matchup, which means that I could have cut one of those sideboard cards, no problem. Um, and in those situations, if I had Luros available, w- am I better off? Maybe. Um, and, and so figuring out what that looks like. It, yeah, I, I go back and forth. I, I think, and this is kind of what the whole joke with Kahira, right? That's the, the, the cat antler. Yeah. Um, yeah. like they yeah, thought this the was beast. one of the main considerations for control decks that have no creatures in it, right? Is it worth playing this three, two? Um, and it ended up that Yorion was just a better choice anyways. Going to 80 cards was just better for them. But is it worth it to then make that sacrifice? Like, oh, I think the sacrifice of a sideboard slot is actually a real consideration for them. And um, now I think this isn't as good of a conversation because I'd rather have Snapcaster Mage and Stoneforge Mystic than, than that card. And I'd rather just be playing Yorion on top of that. But I think at one point they thought that this sideboard conversation was a serious consideration. And I just am leaning towards it being less so because... If I had to choose, uh, like, 
if anything, I'm choosing the sideboard slot that I would have for Jund to be this companion, right? Like, that's what I'm really doing, is I'm saying my grindy matchups are better now. Versus... Right, some companions, like, do shore up matchups in a way that a sideboard card might, right? Like, you need one less card that grinds if you have Luris as your companion in your sideboard. So maybe if you were, you know, Jund before, you would have, like, an extra... I don't know, maybe you add like a Phyrexian Arena in your sideboard or something, or an extra Planeswalker, I guess, like a Chandra Torture Defiance. But now you have Luris instead. Is Luris like as good in your hand as Chandra Torture Defiance? Maybe not. Depends on how you built your deck, but like... Comparable. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a comparable card, and you just cut that grindy card out of your sideboard, and instead you get a free card every game that does something very similar. And Yorion is like that as well. Like, it's another card where in a grindy matchup where you're trading a lot of resources, you just play it, draw four cards, and win. And and it's a threat on top of that, like, if you need to pressure opponents' planeswalkers and stuff. So, like, it kind of also can take this, the slot of a sideboard card. Not every companion is like that. Like, Gigantha, I think, will still see play because it's free in a lot of decks for, like, humans or some Tron builds. But it's like... It doesn't do anything right it just it just shores up your man like mana screw moment and right. yeah um i think that also and, and that actually that, that segues kind of the next one is jund because i think jund has a, a different interesting conversation that we touched about a little bit with infect is the cost of the restrictions now are real uh you know like with with jund specifically you are sacrificing at least two classically powerful cards if not more by playing Loros in your sideboard. You know, you lose... You don't Liliana's get to play Liliana. Liliana. You lose Bloodbraid Elf. Blah, 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 blah. You lose Bloodbraid Elf. You lose... Um, the, uh, tr- what's the clue? Mr. Clue Man? Tracker. Uh, yeah, Tracker. Tracker. You lose Tracker. Um, you lose... Um, so, like, you're, by losing these cards, your deck is kind of worse. I mean, it, it's debatable, I guess, and, and the power level of those cards versus just playing, like, eight bobs with Ren and Six. <laughs> um, but... I think that now there's a real conversation. Is this is the Loros engine in my sideboard worth it? Or maybe should I just be main decking it? And then once in a while, I, I can sideboard out of it. Um, thoughts? Am I wrong? I've said it a couple of times. You haven't acknowledged. You do lose Liliana. It is better to be able to play that card now. No? But you do lose Liliana. I don't know if it's better to play Liliana. That's my masking, right? Okay. Is, is Liliana the Veil in your main deck better than Loros in your sideboard? John does me as a deck that could pay three mana at sorcery speed to put a companion in your hand because you're looking to like trade resources with your opponent a bunch, one for one, draw a couple extra cards along the way, and then like once they once you've ground them out, you kill them with a Tarmogoyf or a Raging Ravine or something. But now like you can be playing Luris, and the mana is like not as relevant because you have time. Like you're looking to make the game go long enough that you have time to get Luris out of your board, mm-hmm. but also like are giving up like very good cards that are important to your strategy less so than like the merfolk discussion where like you're giving up cards that are like good but not like central to your strategy the way like liliana and bloodbraid elf are so maybe it's like more worth it in merfolk a little bit even given the mana concerns yeah i mean but, like it because both of them have their weird sacrifices merfolk you're losing marriageery you're losing the merfolk ben mentioned that he was able you, to yeah, Kopala, you lose Master of Waves. You, I mean, you definitely lose options. And and in Jund, you lose Bob Elf, Liliana's 
A and B, <laughs> um, you yeah. lose, and and so any any of the four drops, Kalidas, you lose any of the planeswalkers that are good, like yeah. other than other than obviously Lilia Lily, or Ren and Six, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, definitely. I I think you know I, I think I agree with you, Michael. Like that feels like Luris is it fits pretty well into Jun's game plan. Um, you're getting a lot of velocity out of your two drops in that deck, so just having. It, I mean, it's a little bit, it's, it's the same thing I was saying with the Hunted deck, right? It's just actually playing good cards. It means that late game, you just like, you know, cash in your token and now you just get to loop your two drops forever. You don't really care that it's like, costs you the extra turn or whatever. But but the slight difference. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I think we can all pretty much agree that like Jund is a deck that can handle having to spend a turn getting these three mana, right? Like it, it and like the amount of games that you and me, Ben, have played where I'm playing Jund and I get to the point where I'm just like looping uh uh loam and raging ravine like that's a thing that i have done in junt to great effect this is comparable to its grindiness capabilities but now but in that deck i could also play liliana the veil i could play bloodbright elf i'm sacrificing powerful cards in my deck urion blue white control deck or or uh, Akira, Blue White control decks are sacrificing stoneforge mystic snapcaster major their deck you're sacrificing powerful cards and in some of these decks, the sideboard option of getting this companion is not worth it. Uh, but in Jund, because you're, it's Luros we're talking about, which is still such a powerful card, it might be. I want to talk a little bit about the standard bannings and the historic restrictions as well. But I do actually have one last thought on this particular subject of Jund that just came to me. So when you're playing like a Luros on curve in the previous model where you just curve into it, it's really good, even if they know it's coming. It doesn't matter. The, the, the element of surprise makes basically no difference because it's just it's a blunt force object at that point. Like You just have a really powerful thing in your deck. Your deck is tuned to take advantage of it. But if you're paying the three extra mana to cast something that costs three or sometimes four or five mana, not only is it does it cost you more, but the turn it probably takes you to get it into your hand completely gives away the element of surprise where now they 100% know that's what you're going to be doing the next turn. And I don't actually know that modern is a format that if you if you're just like tipping your hat like I, I'm or you get to like seven mana. So you like pay it and cast it the same turn, which is a lot in modern. I don't actually know that that's going to maneuver around the possibility of them you casting it and then them just like killing it immediately. Well, but that right like you, you that cast was, your thing. They pass it like it. That's not too much different than what's going on now, other than you like wasted three mana through that process. Right. Most of the companions that we're seeing play have a ETB or you can maintain priority uh, ability. And the ones that don't that we're seeing play are almost being played more as a free roll. So that's like G Gigantha, right? Like more than any of the other ones, that one's seeing play because it just is, it can. It, it costs me nothing. I'm not doing anything different. Um, Obosh, immediately that attack, you get to go off. Uh, Gairuda, you like win the game. It's like a Snapcaster Mage in your sideboard. <laughs> what Ben is saying though, is that like they do become easier to play against. Like if you're playing against that's a Jiryuda combo yeah. deck or a Yorion deck and that you like see that they have a bunch of permanents in play and if they play Yorion, they're probably going to win. You might be holding up a mystical dispute. The problem is you have to hold up mystical dispute like every turn. The entire forever. game. Yeah, right. So it's, it's, now, totally, it's it, it, go Yeah, but now it's like, oh, well, they don't have nine mana to play their Juryuda, so I can wait. Like, oh, they put it in their hand. Now I gotta hold up dispute. Right. And, it becomes and, super yeah. grindy and, and a matter of inevitability and it's fine, but I think it's also it's also the kind of thing that worries me less. Like I, I don't think you get quite as much of an advantage when the velocity is slower. You like lose a lot more of that. And when you're not casting it on curve on three or four mana, it fits into the context of what a modern deck is normally doing a lot less. I think like things that, that was the goal, right? Like that's 
this is exactly what they wanted. They wanted people that were playing companion to be able to be interacted with in a way that they previously weren't. That's what you're describing. Right. And they wanted the choices on whether you want to play it or not to be a real one. Now the internet saying these cards aren't going to see play. That's I think wrong is I think what we're, what we're generally coming to. Correct. I think they will continue to see play. Yes. Yeah. I think I think that there's enough of a I think there's enough of a consideration that people are going to try playing them in their main decks that might turn out to be better than people think. And also that I do think the right ones will still see play as card number 15 in your sideboard 100 percent I mean, I like if it's just from a base level as an, as an experienced magic player in eternal formats, if you were to ask me, hey, there's a bunch of cards out there, there's 10 of them. And you can pay three mana and sacrifice a sideboard card to get it into your hand at any point during the game. Do you think that's something you'd play? And it's like, of course I'd play that. There's going to be tons of situations where that's useful to my deck. Like, that just will be a thing that gets played. Won't be as dominating, but it will 100% get played. So that's a question. Was it enough? Uh, We're just talking about how, like, most Luros decks that we're seeing play, other than maybe the, like, collected company style ones that were devoted to it, that, like, they needed to get Luros to work. Um, Like... It, did they go far enough? Are some of these cards still going to need to be banned? Yurion and Luros specifically. We just kind of went through an entire episode talking about neither. Like, Luros is still great. Most decks we brought up, kind of the answer was like, yeah, probably you still play it. Uh, and Yurion, I don't think there was a single thing. We've been talking about how now there's a choice. The way that it didn't feel like there was a choice before with Luros. I mean, I think Luros is the most interesting one because it's like the most powerful but it has like a real, real restriction in modern in a way that it doesn't in legacy. That's why it's banned in legacy, banned in vintage, because the restriction like is completely irrelevant in those formats. But in modern, like most decks are playing like three drops, and there are a few that aren't, and they get a free Luris, like Boggles and Infect and whoever. But um, you know, Jun, for example, which was like a big part of the metagame with Luris in it, it, it like has to sacrifice for it. So yeah, I think also, Alex, like to answer your question, I mean, think about it from the perspective, too, of like these cards are really good, but modern's really good. They're, like A lot of really good things have been printed in the last year that affected modern, but didn't make it so that the deck they were in became the only deck you'd play, right? Like Blue Light Control first got five minute to fairy and was great. And then it got three minute to fairy and it got even better. It's not the only deck people play. It's a great deck, you know, so like Yorion will make that deck great it and and slower Yorion will still make that deck or, or a similar blink style deck great i mean you again same thing red and six great card unbelievably good card in jun super super value oriented doesn't make jun the only deck people play it's just a very good card well, but two weeks ago the the deck seeing play were diverse it's just all of them were playing a companion right yeah like, like you had everything from burn to devoted druid combo to control with 80 cards to obosh red green aggro to gigantic humans right there's a whole wide variety but they're all playing companions if we if we go into next week or into to, if modern develops again with this new rule and all the decks are still playing companions and there's just less of different companions like is that it like th- that that's a possibility right it's still possible that they're just as powerful as they were uh yeah no, I think I think look, I, I think think about it like this. If companions are 10 cards that came from one set, right, that means that there's 10 cards that become and, and not all 10, right? Like not all 10 companions seven. really see play like seven companions see play. OK, think about the power of the sets that we just mentioned from the last couple of years. There are seven cards from Modern Horizons that when that set got printed became staples in all of modern for sure. Immediately seven cards at least. Same thing with War of the Spark, right? Like if you figure they are seven cards that are really good. And if they're in every single deck, fine. 
as long as they don't dominate and make the play pattern identical every game, which I think the new rule means they won't, they just feel like really good cards from their respective set. Well, but not every deck in modern play day wore the spark card that had like the the, the yeah. variety of game. A, not every deck played a War of the Spark card. Also, the variety of gameplay provided by the War of the Spark cards, and War of the Spark's not the best example because of Planeswalkers, but like even Neoform versus Karn versus Teferi are different play styles. Um, so it's not like with with like the cards we described, it's value based engine creatures that come down on turn six. Right. Right. Like that's basically what it is. And if every deck that is good has to play that even. Yeah. Michael, I do think there's a bit of a repetitive gameplay issue. I mean, like it's mitigated by the fact that you're not just playing turn five Obosh every game or whatever. Turn five Yorion every game like you have to now pick your spot to play it a little more carefully, which makes games somewhat less um, repetitive. But at the end of the day, like a lot of decks are still just going to be like one for one, one for one. Okay, we're in the late game. Here's Luris. Get back my Mishra's Bobble. Like, yeah, you know, that is still going to exist for these like late game companions that we think are more playable or Yorion, where it's like, I'm going to play my Omen of Thassa and my Astrolabe and like my random stuff or Omen of the Sea. Uh, and like just play some random stuff and path your guy and Supreme Verdict and then here's Yorion in turn eight instead of five. Right. Like I mean my argument when we talked about companions and printing more of them, uh for them was that the or or, or the argument then was the decks were diverse. It's not like the decks weren't doing different things, but because companions did the same thing every time they happened and every deck was playing them. The repetitive gameplay was the problem. It was more, the reason people didn't like that format wasn't because I didn't get to play a cool different deck that felt my play style. It was because every single deck was playing Loros on turn three or Yurion on turn four or Obosh on turn five. Um, and I don't, what if that's still, is this rule? So, I mean, it sounds like Ben, you're saying that, yes, you think this rule is enough to nerf them to the point where they won't be a problem anymore. I think now modern is a powerful enough format that it should be able to maneuver around feeling like every single game and every deck is repetitive when you have to pay the mana you have to. I think I, that's, what, that's what I would guess. I don't think they're nerfed. I think they're still good. Just not they're not going to be like dominating modern in the same way. They won't, I think, have an unfun play pattern in quite the same way. Michael. I think the goal, Wizards goal with Companion was always that you would see in every format, basically, some decks that do play companions and some decks, and you would see a few different companions getting played, probably not all of them. Some of them are like definitely more leaning towards casual play or whatever. But you would see a few different companions in every format and you would also see a good number of decks that were not played. And I feel like with this change, we're going to see that. I think the number of companions that got nerfed into the ground with this change is such that there's maybe like three playable companions now or four with like maybe fringe Kahira yeah. cat or beast tribal or something. But like for the most part you're there's like the number of companions getting played is going to be drastically lower. But I think the trade-off is you will now start to see decks that decide a companion is not worth it because it's not this overwhelmingly powerful effect. It's like you have to take a big tempo hit to put it into your hand and then it's vulnerable to counter magic or discard or whatever. And so maybe so so similar question. So say they're not repetitive, right? Like say like decks aren't like you don't have the repetitive format. It's like not every game is, is playing out the same, but 75% of decks or more are playing a companion still, right? Like it, just the free roll of modifying my deck to the easy, to some of the easier ones to be able to make sure I don't get mana flooded 90 and 5%, you know, whatever games that was happening is worth it. 
And so they're all playing them. They don't always play them in a way that is efficient. They maybe don't cast them as many games, right? They're, they're less played from a percentage of per game, but they are in a similar percentage of decks. Is that problematic? Not at the rate that, that I, not at the, like the rate of play that I expect them to be a relevant part of the game. Like I'm, I think I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the rate of play, right? Like I'm saying there are most of every deck in the format is playing a companion, but they aren't showing up in every game or they're not showing up even in half the games. And I don't think it's a problem. Okay. I, then I don't think it's a problem. So it's fine if just every deck has one in a sideboard, but it's not. I mean, the trade-off is that so few of them are playable now that if that's true, instead of saying seeing like every deck is playing a companion, but the number that we gave was seven of them are seeing play, for example, now every deck is playing one and there's only three seeing play, which limits like the colors people are playing. It limits like the types of strategies that people are playing because, you you know, like a lot of these decks are just looking to grind more perhaps i mean i guess like burn and boggles are not looking to grind they're just playing Luris because it's free yeah i mean I some know. of the some of the decks that we mentioned would just play Luros because it's free yeah yeah like you boggles, i also burn, think i also think though, alex in fact i don't think alex if you if you again from the perspective of like new cards that were introduced in war of the spark if we get away from that analogy but we just link it to like okay one drop pieces of direct interaction in modern let's say path bolt push and thoughtseize how many games do you play in which your opponent plays one of those cards against you if you play 15 games at a GP? I, I would have to think it's like 85% of games yeah, or, or something like that. You know I, what I mean? I, like You probably could argue it's it's closer to 100. Not 100, but like close. Yeah, a level of redundancy that is high enough that if we were bothered by seeing the same cards show up so often, we would not be happy with Magic. And I'm fine with those cards. So I actually think... That's my expectation is you'll see redundancy. You just won't see it in a way that feels like it's game breaking. So that's what I think. Okay. I think that's a good way of putting it because yeah, you're not going to see it on turn five, 100% of games anymore or whatever. Like no yeah, 100% yeah. of games, Obosh turn five, 100% of games, Luris turn three with a bobble. Like you're right. You'll see it maybe as frequently, like even if they get played at the same rate, you're only going to see them as frequently as you would see like a path or something. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you're playing a hundred percent of games, same, same. If 100% of the games I play in a GP, I play against an opponent with, with a companion. I think it's like m- almost 25% of games will that companion actually be played compared to before where it was 100% of games, right? So like I think that that mitigates them still being ubiquitous if they end up being that way a little bit more. Um I think also yeah. on that point, on that point, and, and you mentioned this a second ago, Michael, with the Death Shadow thing, it's not always going to be this way. But if you show up and you show me Lurus in your sideboard in your Jun deck, I have a pretty good feeling I'm not going to have to worry about you playing Liliana on turn three. I like, I feel pretty confidently I know what's in your deck a little bit more than I otherwise would. Uh, you right? know for you know for sure. Uh, uh, unless I know the companion rule wrong, but if if you say Lurus is your companion. And yeah. if I have Liliana in the veil in my deck, I get a game loss. That's true. So it's you. It's not just you can't cast Luris that game. Correct. No. If you're saying it is your companion, you are stating that you. It is a rule that your deck can't have that in your deck. Got it. Okay. So yeah. I, I I thought that it was a question you could only play it. So then even more so. Then even more so. If you show me Luris, I then know. Okay. I don't have to worry about my Geist getting killed when I play it by your Liliana. Like there's a, like a lot. It's a different. You play differently. It's information, right? <laughs> so I think even then they become a little bit worse when they're not hitting your normal curve. Right. Right. You're you're you are losing stuff here, right? And it and there were negatives to companions that they thought would have been a natural check on them to begin with. 
card selection, uh, sideboard yeah. slot information. Um, but I, it, the, before the extra card and the value and how powerful they were mitigated that no problem. So now, now the question is, do they where on that scale, do they fall? Um, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I do think what'll be really interesting is to see also if we move to a world where they're not that great in the sideboard all the time or at all, I do think we might start seeing some of them just main deck play. Like some of these cards are just yeah. good, right? Like Yeruda is a good example of it. Just like Snapcaster mages in that deck. Uh, Luros is, is a great example where, like, if it didn't have Companion, it would still be probably the most played card out of um, Ikoria, Ikoria. In, in Eternal formats, I think. And it wouldn't have been banned maybe in some of the older ones, but, like, just that by itself is really good. So maybe you just play four. Maybe the ability to, like, have it so it doesn't... If they kill it, you just can get another one out of your deck is worth the cost of not having it as your companion. And then the that's, funny joke is you can always sideboard into it being your companion if that's something you want to try doing. That's what I think you're going to see more of with the powerful ones. That, that, that That's my expectation because I think Luris is a powerful enough card that I think we're just going to see that. So I think, I think it but, depends, right? Like, like Luris is a great... But I don't think Urion does that. I don't think that card's good enough unless it's a companion. Agreed. Unless, yeah, you're like a, so. unless you're like a weird... I guess blue-white blink, right? Like a, a, a decks that previously were taking advantage of um, Venser, Venser like, that kind of thing. but like those aren't, you know, those are like tier three modern decks that could, I, yeah. that, that'll maybe play because it's just a great, uh, the flicker. Engine. Drawing multiple Yorions and having it take up a slot in your hand when you need interaction is like pretty good. Yeah, Lure is yeah it's pretty You can like, it's never going to rot in your hand. You can play it out on turn three and like drawing multiples is not as heinous, I right. feel, because like the one that's in play is continuously generating value. And if they kill it, you got another one. Right. Whereas Yorion, you like play Yorion, draw two more Yorions, you're like <laughs> Yeah, I know I have an air elemental. <laughs> uh so guys, I want to trans I uh, hit the mic. I'm not doing the hands. Uh so <laughs> that's for you, patrons in Marshall. <laughs> uh so guys, I want to talk a little bit before about the standard bannings and the historic um uh, suspensions before we we wrap up today but before i do i just wanted to give a quick shout out to a brand new thing i've been working on you guys heard it last week nerds and suits is this new youtube channel i've got it's both audio and video um, youtube.com slash nerds and suits i'm doing like one-on-one -on -one interviews with people and then the show called song from the scene where i uh, basically record songs from great movies and and uh, talk about why the scenes are so great and it's my birthday this weekend i turned turned 32 on saturday and i'm doing a live stream with a huge announcement on the channel um, this saturday at 5 p.m so if you are, you're probably hearing this on a Friday, probably have one more day to get to 2000 subs. We're not that close, but you know, a bunch of you guys were awesome last week and you want to subscribe, then it would really mean the world to me. I'm working my butt off on it. So go check it out. See if you like the content. There's a lot of fun stuff on there and uh, I would very much appreciate it. Oh, I need to change your, uh, your, like your, what your, what your, you says from watch point Blake to watch nerds and suits. I don't subscribe. know. Point Break's pretty yeah, great. Subscribe. Yeah, Point Break is really great. Also, how do you feel about that we, me and Michael have decided that you're a Sobble? <laughs> a what? A Sobble. Well, he just, he just got the leftover that's, Pokemon. That's fair. I don't think that he's a Sobble. Well, but he, like, wears a suit. Sobble wears a suit. Sobble's like a, 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 a final a version of Sobble, right? The, oh, sure. Inteleon? Uh, 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 Inteleon. Yeah, something like that. Huh. I don't know. Uh, Sobble was the water starter uh pokemon from sword and shield finding characteristic is sad <laughs> but then he becomes then he becomes james bond yeah it turns into a secret agent for some reason yeah, he's like mopey and then he becomes emo 
uh, very like you with your blue hair in high school phase. Um, and then <laughs> it was middle school, middle school. Uh, and then, and then becomes like only suit all the time. Uh, sniper water Pokemon, James Bond kind of esque. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think Inteleon is the closest. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's I'm talk so, about I'm standard. Bunny let's and, talk about- and Michael is a, uh, Oh, why am I forgetting? What are you? Grookey. 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 Thank you. Nerds. This is this is Grookey. And this is Michael. He wants everyone to read Saga. And then You can't read on, what? on I can't read it on your camera. You, you can, I guess you the can read here. Yeah. Saga's really Saga's really sweet, by the way, Michael. I and love then, Saga. And then I'm a score bunny and everyone should watch Avatar The Last Airbender. It's I heard Netflix that show now. sucks. Uh you're a monster and we all hate you. <laughs> you sad chameleon. <laughs> Um, um, so yeah. standard. standard, standard bannings. So we had a couple bannings. We had uh, the banning of Agent of Treachery and the banning of Fires of Invention, and then his historic. They were both suspended. So um, suspension. Michael, explain really quickly what suspension means versus banning or restriction, all that whatnot. So in historic, uh, because they add these like incredibly powerful cards in big batches more frequently, there's like more cards entering historic than are entering any other format, pretty much, unless you count like you know, obviously supplementing products go into legacy, but I guess like more than standard or modern, like historic has like powerful cards entering randomly. So uh, because of that, the metagame shifts a little bit more often because there's just like, hey, here's Umburial Rites and Ulamog and, you know, see what you can do with this. Um, So they suspend cards instead of banning them outright, typically in historic, which Mm. just is like for, I think, three months. And then after three months has passed, based on where the metagame is, they will decide whether they think it's safe to reintroduce or not. And so they, they they let Nexus of Fate back, and they let Field of the Dead back, but not Oko, for example, or Once Upon a Time. They were suspended, and then when their time was up, they were like, uh, these cards are broken, and they should be banned in every format. So do they also suspend, do they also suspend in Pioneer, or is that, or they don't? No, no, this is Arena only. Arena yeah. only, got and, it. And kind of the difference... Pioneer, has cards entering the format at the same rate as standard and modern, just standard legal sets. And, uh, and, a, pretty and, and a small difference is if a card is banned in arena, you get wild cards. If a card is suspended in arena, I don't believe you do get wild cards. Got it. If it does later get banned, you will get the wild same cards. cards. So it didn't matter this time. Right. I actually don't remember what happened when they suspended Nexus of Fate, but or because I have those. But yeah, I, I don't think you get them for yeah. historic. Maybe if they suspended a card. Wrong. Yeah. I think if they suspend a card that's not legal and standard, they might, but I don't think that's happened yet. Okay, okay. Typically, uh, their line is, you can still play it in standard, so it's fine. Right, 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 right. Got it. Um, and so, um, interesting interesting thing is that Winota was, like, the, the main target um, that people thought needed to go, but it's a newer card, so people think that might be why it wasn't uh, banned. And in Historic, specifically, where Ancient of Treachery wasn't seeing play in the Winota decks... And but Winota is like fifty-five to seventy-five percent of the metagame. That was where they thought it needed to go more, and and they like got rid of so Agent of Treachery, which isn't going to hurt the deck. It's that percentage of the metagame in one historic tournament that they held. They got only it. held okay. one historic tournament since Ikoria came out because they waited for Historic Anthology three to come out because that's kind of what they do with Historic is like the queue's not available when a set first comes out because they want people to like play with the new cards in standard, mm-hmm. and then like a few months into a set's release they'll come out, or I guess a month, they'll come out with the next Historic Anthology, and then they'll put Historic out. So Historic, like, 
just was a thing you could actually play on Arena. And the first tournament, Winota was way overrepresented. But Wizards, like, must have looked at the ladder data and decided that it was not as good as everybody thought. Or, like, Agents of Treachery. Because like, they have data, like, age, the games where Agents of Treachery were winning or were cast or were put into play are the ones that were more proportionally being won by Winota decks, maybe, than not. But we don't know. It, it also it was also hitting Luca right like it's hitting both of those cards which I think is part of yeah. their goal was that there's two different cards that were cheating it in a play, um, and it's well, interesting because like, yeah Bant Ramp X and Standard if they if they just banned Fires like Bant Ramp would just become the big like over the top control deck the way Fires was and they would just be playing Agent hard casting it off of a Nissa mana or something right or, right or, well, so so on, on that note let's talk really quickly because so so in Standard Agent of Treachery and Fires Invention were both banned and I think actually both of them have interesting implications for how they relate to modern but then I think also the play pattern with those cards is interesting right because like so Agent of Treachery I know we acknowledged Alex like when that card was previewed we were not like oh that's going to be a haymaker it was like it's a seven mana two three it comes down, steals something, and then it has the weird text that if you control three or more permanents, which I feel like a lot of people just ignore, even exists. But oh, like, I like didn't realize it had that text on it until three weeks ago when I like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're cheating it into play with these cards, you can get multiples pretty easily, and then you play your Yorion or you bounce it with Teferi. Like I've had people draw three cards on me in standard like a lot recently, but that's only because of like recent you reasons you can get most of them and there was another yeah. and there's another card that you gain control of stuff that i've been able to pull off with it that also like helped there so i, I like have a, have a few different ways that it's like been relevant um that yeah I but it's, i mean it's, it's interesting right because it's it the way it fits right now into the format is that as you mentioned uh michael the, the 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 ramp decks make it a card that actually is just like a castable card anyway just a very good castle card but it's the fact that it's good there but also if you cheat it in and you can cheat it in early stealing a land represents such an enormous advantage i think it's just not fun <laughs> i think that's the thing about it that sucks right it's like if that actually gets pulled off against you early on like the the tempo of them stealing one of your lands is like pretty pretty backbreaking yeah i i've been playing cycling and i had a game against the yorion fires luca the like big uh you know bogeyman of standard and I had like a 6-6 six, six Flourishing Fox or something and they cheated an Agent of Treachery with Luca and stole a land. And I was like, what are they thinking? They should have stolen my Fox. And then they had a Fires in play. The next turn they go like uh, Yorion, blink my agent, steal another land, play, you know, Teferi or something, bounce my uh, Agent of Treachery, play it again because I didn't tap any mana for anything because I have a Fires in play and the Yorion blinked the Fires and they just like stole another land and I just had like one land or something. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess you can chump block the Fox now and I have no lands. <laughs> yeah. And, and which turn would you say this was happening? I don't know, six or okay. something. Well, so that that's, I mean, like kind of taking every time cards get banned in, in standard or pioneer, even historic, we kind of have a pretty long conversation on, is this a card that could see play in modern, right? Like, oh, this has shown its power level. And and this is a card that, and, and Agent Treachery has kind of dominated standard for a year. As for a while now, the yeah. best way, best thing to cheat in the play somehow. Um, and um, Fires of the Invention have also kind of just been a tier one deck in standard forever, and just now they've gotten to the point where they're powerful. And and part of that is it had the birthing prop, uh, birthing pod problem, right? The larger standard was, the better fires got. 
uh, the more creatures that exist in a card pool that Birthing Pot has access to, the more likely it is to be broken. And, you know, applying that logic to modern should point to Fires being a card that has potential to see play, especially in a format where, um, like, I don't know if I agree that it's getting odd like that. Okay. I mean, like, the Blizzard's announcement they said an issue with it. was good in modern because it could find combos, and, like, they didn't put any combos with it in standard. So you needed the larger card pool to get access to those combos. Fire's Invention is not really a combo card in that way. But also, like, when you have access to more creatures with Birthing Pod, you can play, like, one Orzhov Pontiff in your deck that you couldn't play in standard, and that shores up a bunch of matchups, and you can put one whatever in your deck. But that's not really true with Fire's. Fire's is just a mana doubler. Well, but but, like, but in Wizards article, one of the things they said about it when they were talking about why they banned it was one of the issues is as we see the format getting larger, the more options you have and the more powerful level you have on being able to treat powerful permanents into play. Now, maybe that's insinuating that just in M20, there's going to be, or M21, there's going to be more insane big threats, right? And that they just were worried that like, oh this problem in this situation is going to be worse, not an overall problem with the card. It doesn't let you play big stuff in the way of a typical mana doubler. It lets you play two five drops. So it's just the quality of the five drops got too high with Luca and Yorgon. The stupid Cavaliers. Also, are the power... Cavaliers and Kenrith have been like the go-tos for a long time. Yeah, I think the five drops got good was the problem. Is that like with Luca and Yorion? entering the format and Vivian there were there were gruel fires decks as well I don't think they were a problem as much but you know just the quality of the five drops was such that it became a problem not so much that and there's like, a lot of good five drops in modern do you think that there's any shot that that's that that becomes problematic in modern people look at the banning I mean I feel like that always happens the the standard banning happens and then people start thinking about modern aggressively like hey can I break this so we have seen some fires decks like taking turns fires decks are the ones yep. that I think most in Save the moment and whatnot. They're, they're yeah, fine. I have it built on Modo. <laughs> There's just more efficient ways to cheat on mana in modern, I think, like with yeah. Tron or Primeval Titan decks, or even Ponza with like the the Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl into Garrick uh, into Garrick. a million mana. Well, <laughs> yeah, like I think those decks are just more efficient than Fires at making a lot of mana, and they do allow you to play like Ulamogs and stuff with your mana, whereas Fires is like here's two mid-range E5 drops. Though, though, I will say that taking turns deck was really sweet, but then Companions got printed, you know, a month, like, pretty pretty quickly afterwards. So it would be interesting to see with their adjustments back to kind of a metagame that Companions aren't dominating as much if decks like that get better. Because um, that deck was had really interesting ways that it was strong and maybe can have a moment in the metagame again where stuff like Fire is, is a powerful card. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, really quickly, just before we move off the Ponza thing, just because I was thinking about this. It is true, right, that with the with the Ponza Arbor Elf thing, with Utopia Sprawl and Garrick, you can get seven mana on turn two, right? I think so, but I have to do the math. Uh, one drop, turn two, you said? Because you go, you go Utopia, you go Utopia Sprawl on turn one on your land. Mm-hmm. Turn two, no, 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 you have to, you, you cast Arbor Elf turn one. Yes. Turn two, you tap to cast the Sprawl. Tap it for two, untap it, retap it, cast Garrick, untap both lands. Now you can tap for three more mana, right? Yes. So now you, so, you, so you generated don't have, seven mana on turn you two. You generated seven mana over that turn. You don't have seven mana. You can't cast once. Karn on turn two. No. Correct. But you can then on turn yeah. three cast Karn. Or that's yeah. why Kwanzaa. Hey. <laughs> also, maybe they just like Stone Rain. Yeah, it's true. It ends up Stone Raining your opponent. Sometimes just wins you the game. 
Right, like casting like, Garrick, doing the untap, and then stone raining, like yeah. just wins the game, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I think I think that both Fires decks can have different moments, and is a card that like I'll, I'll, I think like for instance, I think Fires has a higher chance of seeing play than Aetherworks uh, and Energy decks did in Modern. Yeah, because um, I think I it's just it's generically good, and your shell doesn't have to be about it as much. Versus Energy is just playing a bunch of bad cards that she did in Emrakul. Um, so I will say that like the fail case of the fires deck in standard is like you're a deck you're like a mid-range deck with a little bit higher curve because you have an emphasis on like five drops and maybe you're playing agent of treachery or whatever but in modern a deck that looks like that is a lot worse like a sure. deck with a high density of five drops with no way to cheat them out is like a lot worse than it would be in standard so what if it's four drops or what if it's i, I mean like does it have obviously five drops you gain the most value and but what if it's more like three to five like what if jund fires is a deck that like yeah, so yeah. like you play so you like play you like play your fires you like cast a i don't know like a, a, a what's his name i mean or, i guess blood right off is terrible with fires but you play you play um uh uh hunt master of the fells or you play one of the chandras or you play uh the black yeah, chandra torch of defiance yeah and then turn to you like liliana into something else that you do with chandra i don't know it seems I, yeah, that, that seems more mediocre. Uh, I think just taking extra turns is the best thing you can do because you just yeah, go infinite um, with that. Yeah, it allows that you to like it. develop your hand by like drawing cards while you're still like time warping. Because mm-hmm. that's also like, the part with those decks is that you need like howling minds and then it's like hit or miss because you draw two cards. I didn't draw another time warp. I can't do anything. Right. Like, you can like time warp and play concentrate or whatever. Draw right, cards. right. I think like also um i think also if you're looking to cast that was a weird card for me to name concentrate yeah yeah but i mean i i I get what you're saying yeah harmonize or something (laughs) divination um yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but like i i I definitely think that uh you know in modern being a format that is that is pretty heavily uh it's got a lot of hand disruption so if you're going down you know you're playing your card that's your accelerant effectively in your fires and also trying to have heavy threats that you're not going to be playing early Chances are your opponents probably looked at your hand, either taken your fires, so now you just have a bunch of clunky four drops, or they've taken your sweetest threat. So you like play fires and then just like cast one thing, and now you have like kind of just jank. Yeah. So it feels like that, just that alone, the fact that like Thoughtseize exists and it doesn't exist in standard is the difference. And this is a lot of people's complaints with the Agent of Treachery Band, though your point on like the fact that blue green ramp decks would just still play it if they didn't get rid of it, like it was a card that was in more decks and therefore was problematic. Um, but Winota and Luca are the two cards that I think I'm more interested in as just cards that are and and Winota is just Agent of Treachery is the best thing I think she can cheat into play right now. But that could change like at any day they could print like a Taza that like destroys all creatures your opponent controls and put them in the play under your control. Knows what's going to be in standard with Winota, so they're not worried as of now. Correct. And humans, humans being like very high CMC, very high impact is something that we don't see very. Correct. But it happens, and there are some in modern, though when we looked it up, it wasn't a very, very deep list. Um, though Agent no, of Treachery might just be good enough. Modern, modern, right? Like 15 years or whatever is in modern. Agent of Treachery was the best thing we could come up with in modern, pretty much. So, like, what's the likelihood that in standard there's going to be something better? <laughs> right. Well, but like a, like a 10 drop, like a big expensive human, like that could happen. The thing with humans is that like, they can be expensive, they right? They're we humans. Don't have to speculate. <laughs> they and know. we just know that in the next year and a half, 
that it won't happen. They should print a card called Superhuman. It'd but, be really well, good. <laughs> uh, I guess. I guess on, on the other end, in historic, Winota wasn't playing Agents of Treacheries. Like, I guess that that's kind of the other side of it, right? Like, the deck is was already cutting that card and was really good, um, just from the value dig engine of getting kind of again five drops or, or, or bigger cost spells into play. I think that that's what's more likely in modern. Um, I think that's the play pattern they want, though. They want you to have to have a mix of non-humans and humans to make the card work, and they want you to just be kind of like generating value. I don't think they want you to be like putting stuff, cheating stuff into play like way ahead of curve. I think they want you to just be generating value with it. And maybe it's still too good and it ends up getting banned in historic and or standard. But like, I think that the agent of treachery thing was like not necessarily their intent with the card mm -hmm. would be my guess. Angrath's Marauders is the human they're playing. If a source you control will deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage. That's yeah, a right. very good effect. Because it comes into play before damage, right? That's how Winota works. Yeah. And, and then... it comes in attack well, so you'll get the eight damage off of it. And then it's playing Hakdos is another big human that's, like, resilient. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I I don't know. I think, like, Winota has a chance in Modern um, to see pretty decent play, regardless of Agent of Treachery. Um, and then I think Luca does as well. I mean, I think Luca already is. So, um, yeah, I think I think all the cards, anytime a card is banned in Standard or Historic, it's, like, really interesting to see, or even just to talk about, like, what can this do with Modern? Um, and does it have a chance? And, and it doesn't always, right? Uh, uh, Thopter kind of has never really seen significant play in modern as much as yeah. I wish it did because that card is sweet. Uh, I love that card. Uh, I mentioned energy. <laughs> energy just was never a deck that kind of made itself known in modern. And part of that is, I think, it's just better ways to cheat Emrakul in the play. Um, there isn't like, I think, by the way, just on deck. Oh, I guess on Field the of Dead card that got banned. Never mind. There is a Field of Dead deck. Yeah. I think also on the subject, really quickly, of just like, and, and I know we got to wrap it up here, but just like sort of the point that when we were talking about companions and would we, did we know they were going to be good or not, you know, to varying degrees, right? Like, so, because so th some things become ubiquitous, some things don't. So the initial printing of Planeswalkers back in like 2007, you know, none of those initial Planeswalkers are busted. It took a little while for those cards to get busted. You know, I would say vehicles by and large never really got busted in good formats, whereas like equipment did get busted pretty fast. You know, so when you try something new out, it's not always a perfect science of how you're going to make it work. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. It's just very rarely does it happen like it happened with companions where like they're just like, yeah, we didn't really anticipate just quite how quite how insane this was going to be. I what happened with the equipments, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I kind of disagree with you. And they're like, like whoops, skull clamp. Like, planeswalkers and GTA, yeah, I guess it's true, yeah. Equipments, like, that happened immediately. Planeswalkers, the first one saw play, but pretty quickly, like, Jace is two years after they were premiered um and decimated the it format equipment kind of was the vehicle mistake where they're like oops there was a vehicle that was too pushed and so and yeah. then we haven't had a playable one since all vehicles but and then and then uh the other one which because this was a conversation we had a ton last year because war of the spark introduced the textless planeswalker like the the static yeah, right, planeswalker right, right. and this that they also did this right like there are five static ability planeswalkers that have seen significant play in in eternal formats yeah right at least and that's me just thinking off the top of my head between one of them got banned one of them got banned one of them should get banned and hopefully does <laughs> it didn't get banned but it got its its best friend banned yeah yeah it got a card one got a card banned one is to fairy and everyone wants to be banned out of every format uh also narset narset is no fun for anyone uh Ugin is seeing play. It's not problematic. It's just it's very good. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think I think like static ability planeswalkers did it again, right? Like every time there's a new mechanic 
or like a new card type. Yeah. Not every time. Like a great example of sagas didn't do it, right? Sagas are fine and they're great and everyone loves them. Yeah. I just like I just I just for now it would be nice if we hadn't had so many in sequence all in the course of a couple of years that were so savage, but it's all right. I would I'm still I would still rather they push magic than not push it because yeah. we talked about that. Ixalan, those sets, the boring ones, they're really, really, really freaking boring. Yeah, I would like cards that are good. Yeah. I just uh, also. If anyone was wondering at home, concentrate is legally modern. I looked it up. <laughs> I thought <laughs> so. It was eighth, eighth edition, right? Eighth edition. It's got. Yeah, I thought be, right? so. If you're like, I trusted you on that, Michael. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have. I should have trusted my gut. If, uh, if you're ever like, there's no way this card is legal and modern. It's in eighth or ninth edition, like every always. Time. Yeah, hundred percent. I want to do a historic episode really bad. We could. I just, there's been so much stuff to talk about that there hasn't been a moment to delve deep into historic. It's cool. I know. Well, maybe, that maybe the Winota deck broke. Like I think with Winota decks being good, every one of the companions saw significant constructive play in some variety or like success in some way. Because it, it played with Yumari, which before that point was like kind of the bad one. So maybe well, next week we'll do what? It's like Alex playable in every format now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, now it's a different world. Just like Winota in historic snuck it in as everyone was problematic at least once. <laughs> so maybe next week we do a historic episode because the week after that, we've got a preview card and it's exciting. Oh, you and I can't wait to talk to you guys about work. it. It's really cool. I'm excited. Um, it's, also, it's, like, it's one of it's one of my favorites. Oh, also, uh, June 6th, I will be uh, one of the participants in the Command Fest uh, that Channel Fireball is doing on Channel Fireball's uh, Twitch channel. Uh, I'm playing at 1145, uh, so 11.45 Pacific time, uh, June 6th. I will be probably playing my cast deck. I did a deck tech on our channel. You can go check out the Commander deck tech that I did. That was cool and new. Let us know if you like that kind of stuff. Um, and I'll be playing, I'll be jamming games. So you can watch me on the channel Fireball Twitch stream, which will be really cool. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kess Wiley. Ben is at Ben Bateman Media. Michael is Dudard, which I can never spell Dudard. correctly. At Duty ARDD. Cool. There's two D's. I always forget where the second D is. And there's three different places it can be. <laughs> there's three. There's four D's. There's four D's. There's a second Total. D with it. There's a, there's a double D moment. And I just never remember where the double D is. In, yeah, it's at the agreed. end. It's at the end. Oh, the puppy's coming. Yeah, I think there's a puppy sighting. Yes, puppy sighting. Yes, Peanut. <laughs> this is Peanut. Your, your puppy's name is Peanut? Yeah, it's so yeah. cute. I can't handle it. That's so it. cute. <laughs> Taking a second picture for future. Uh, that's adorable. Oh, man. I'm so excited to stand dramatically holding Peanut and looking off in the distance <laughs> like all of the other dog photos that I've taken. You guys are both going to have dog photos. I guess I have to go find a dog that I can hold for my magic photo. Yeah, yep, that's true. We all need <laughs> dog holding magic photos. Jen, if you can work on getting Michael a dog holding magic photo, that's Jen, Michael's wife. Everyone say hi. Hi, Jen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so make sure to follow us on Twitter. Make sure to follow Michael for more awesome dog photos. Also, make sure to follow Jen on Twitter. Uh, his wife, who's actually going to be posting the dog photos. Uh, Jen, Jen, can you shout out your uh, your twitter handle jen jakes j-a-c-q-u-e-s i was wrong i was calling out the instagram that was the I one know. instagram's probably a more likely dog photo location though that's so, strong uh, strong point speaking of instagram i'm also kess wiley there ben is also ben bateman media michael doesn't yeah. have one but his dog may in the future <laughs> uh <laughs> um and uh make sure to just t- check out the channel every week make sure to subscribe uh we do we're just trying to do more content uh everything from me just doing direct to camera stuff to deck text to ben recording stuff we have hot takes every tuesday uh that get posted to our patreon early 
Uh, and make sure to check out our Patreon. That's how we pay Marshall, who did all the editing, all this card stuff here that has been near me showing you what we're talking about. Uh, Marshall did all that. And uh, so that really helps. Patreon helps us accomplish that. All the technology that we've been able to pull together to be able to do this um, still uh, during the quarantine moment. Um, so definitely check that out. And, and yeah. All right. Big time. Big time salute. Pinkies up. House of Modern. Love you guys. See you soon. Thank you so much. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.